First <laughs> John chapter 2, letters from a father, letters from a father. John uses the word children and little children more than anywhere else in the Bible. In fact, most of the places we find in the, all of the New Testament are in this little bitty book of five chapters, First John. We find it 11 times, even though you can find it less than 20 when he's talking about the people of God universal in the Bible. First John has so much over and over, almost redundantly, the reason is John spent 40 years possibly more pastoring. Not just John the young man with Jesus, not just John the old man on the island of Patmos in Revelation, but John's bulk of ministry was pastoring, was fathering for years and years, that's why God gave him such revelation. He lived so long. So we have studied First uh, John, the, the first few times we see the word children and little children. So we're going to pick it up in John chapter 2, 18 to 23, as he continues over and over, speaking as a father to children. I don't know about you, but I love to spend time with spiritual fathers and mothers. There is nothing more refreshing and joying. I was thinking about this today. Over the last 20-something years, I realized, man, I love to spend time with people who are spiritual fathers and mothers. It is the most refreshing thing, isn't it? That's who God's called us to be. And if you need that, God will bring that into your life. He doesn't do orphans. It's not in the heart of God. It's not in the plan of God. It's not in the people of God. He doesn't do that. He's, my Bible says he sets the solitary in families. Amen? My Bible says if my mother and father forsake me, he takes me up. He doesn't do orphans. No one should be spiritual orphans under the blood of Jesus Christ. Ever. That is not the will of God. And if you felt, you felt like that or you feel like that, God wants to change that. You are not spiritual orphans. That doesn't exist in the heart of God. All right. 1 John 2, 18 to 23. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. I know that's like the biggest word in the Bible, like, whoa, I'm going to explain that in a little bit. Even now, many Antichrists have come, but which, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth. You do not know Christ. He's saying you do. But because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Who is Antichrist? Who denies the Father, denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Let me uh, explain Antichrist to you before we jump into our points. You have notes right there. There are two uses for the word Antichrist. This is throughout every culture, but especially ours because end time stuff is prevalent, especially when the world kind of goes in upheaval, we think about these things. So the Bible uses Antichrist in two ways, and it's very important that we understand this for our theology, for our doctrine, and for our overall life. The first one is found, and you should have it on your notes there, is found in John, I'm sorry, excuse me, Matthew 24, 23 to 25. 
And I'm going to read that and then explain the two of them. So this is Matthew 24, 23. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, it's here, it's over there. This is the way for life. This is the most important. This is truth. Do not believe it. For false Christ are another Christ. And false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect, the saved. So I have told you beforehand. So the first use of Antichrist is not the, we're thinking of the devil who possesses the man. If you read left behind and he's going to take over the world in the new world order, that's not the first one. The first one is instead of or another. John is saying in every generation, because only one generation is going to experience the actual man of sin, the Antichrist. In every generation, there will be some political, some entertainment, some many voices that come to you and say, this is who you should worship. This should be your focal point of truth. This should be what you focus your life on. And instead of to take the place of. This is prevalent in our world as it was in John's world, as Matthew explains it here, the instead of. There's many instead ofs. I'll give you a classic, simple example. When I grew up on Saturday morning, we watched cartoons. That's what we watched. It was cartoons. Woo, Bugs Bunny. There are no cartoons on Saturday morning. On Saturday morning, this is, and this only exists, why we're killing the planet and how the super people are going to save the planet. We kill the planet, we're the problem, and this is all the people that are saving the planet. I am an, I want to be a good steward of this planet. I lived in Colorado. I learned, man, I love this. Everything's so clean and nice. I don't worship the planet. That's Romans 1. I don't do that. We don't worship the creation. We worship the creator who's blessed forever. Some of this, I'm saying, is a little on my opinion. This is where I fall. If you have a different one, that's okay. I'm just going to give you one of the examples. So the planet becomes the thing that's worshipped. Does that make sense? You see it very simply when there are no more cartoons. It says, children, this is what must happen. The planet is what is your focal point in life. That's just an example. The bigger one is humanism. Man is the center of all things. Man can fix themselves. Man has the answers. That is the Antichrist of our day and age. Amen. Man can fix it. We can do it. Make gods out of them, little g, whatever it is, either a philosophy, a person, an ideology. That is the focal point. That's the instead of. Does that make sense? We see it everywhere in our culture. So when John says, look, the Antichrist is coming and many have already come. Pay attention in your life and teach your children what sits on the throne in your heart and mind. What sits on the throne? That's what the father, spiritual father John is saying. What's sitting on the throne? The second one is much easier. The Antichrist, the literal man of sin who will come in the last time. That's 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 4. But to give... So we know both of them. This is Paul writing. Excuse me, 1 Thessalonians. No, I'm sorry, second. Am I right on that? 
Yes. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 4. Is that what you have on your notes? Okay, good. Thank y'all for keeping me straight. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you, no one to be soon shaken in your mind. Lots of these antichrists, these people who try to put themselves in, on the throne of your heart and mind, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if for us, as though, we, uh, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for the day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Maybe that's where we are today. We don't know. It's very possible. And the man of sin, that's the anti or against Christ, an individual who will be possessed by Satan is revealed the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, if it's going to be rebuilt possibly, showing himself that he is God. So we see the two views very different. All right, that's clear. Go teach a class on it now. Anybody want to sign up for that one? Y'all want to teach that class? I don't want to go any farther on the limb than that. That's as far as I'm going to go. So there's the two views the spiritual father john wanted us to clearly see and it's important that we clearly see both right so let's go to first john where we are first john all right so he starts it off little children it is the last hour now he uses the word antichrist most of uh, multiple times because if you got an audience Who's dozing? I know you guys aren't doing that yet. It's too early. It's too early right now. I'll give you 20 minutes or hit the ACs. If you've got an audience who's dozing and you say Antichrist, even the teenagers like, what, 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 who's, what? Everyone, (laughs) what? He says, it is the last hour. Now, remember when he says little children, he's talking about all Christians, young, old, in the middle, whoever it is. It is the last hour. The spiritual father says, I want you to know you live your life differently than the world does. You all know that. But you live your life thinking total opposite of the way the world does. Let me tell you, the world hates talking about death and the end and the shortness of this life and the, and the vapor that it is, as Solomon said. They don't want to talk about that. They don't want to have that discussion We think about that all the time. We are always thinking about us meeting the Lord like that or him coming back like that, right? Because that's the reality of mankind. He says, I want you to live your life different. I want you to think differently, whether you're just dealing with one of these antichrists or whether you're in the last time. Number one in your notes, expectant living is our normal. The expectation that the end is at the door. That the end is right there at the door. I was talking to a, a friend, that, a, a young girl that was uh, hanging at my house for a short time, and I didn't bring it up, but she was just the age of my daughters, and she was visiting, and she just matter-of-factly told me um, that she's in this support group because her, her father died like died very suddenly and very quickly. And she's seven years old or eight. I was thinking, he couldn't have been that old, was he? So I found out that he, um, 
He, he was a diabetic, and he had a really bad episode at work, and he was gone. And that's tragic. And God's grace will come to that family and that single mom. But I realize, whoa, this is the state of reality. Amen? This is the state of reality. Death is always in front of us, but we don't, we're not afraid of it. We don't look for it. We don't have a death wish. We are fine with putting ourselves into the hands of God and saying, tomorrow in 50 years, that's fine. I'm expecting death, and it'll be a glorious day. Paul said to be better, to be with the Lord is better than to even be here. Expectant living is our normal. You know, that phrase is real popular in today's culture. I'd never, we coined a new phrase. It's going to be in a dictionary probably in a couple years. The new normal. Yes. <laughs> this is going to be the new normal. This is going to be the new normal. Have y'all heard that a thousand times? I've really, it wasn't as popular before a few weeks ago or months ago. This popular phrase in our culture saying, you know, what's school or life or whatever going to look like. Our norm is expecting Christ in our lives. This is why. You live totally different if you think it's imminent, right? I live totally different if I know someone's coming to visit, whether someone shows up on my doorstep and the house is the way it needs to be or it's not. Come on. I do most of the cleaning, if y'all didn't. I'm a clean freak. I, I can actually function a vacuum cleaner and a mop at the same time. I'm ambidextrous. <laughs> You're so polite, babe. <laughs> when you're expecting something or someone, everything's different, correct? This is the attitude we have as Christians. We're expectant in our hearts and in our minds. Let me tell you why. We put no confidence in the flesh. We don't put any confidence in the flesh. And we know that if we live expectant, it'll take care of this thing. It'll keep him in check because I got to keep this guy in check, right? Or I eat potato chips and drink sweet tea all day. And that's good every once in a while, but not all the time. You know, you can always tell when someone's living expectantly or unexpectedly. Let's watch this little video, and this is the fruit of the unexpected life. Who made the mess? Billy did? Come here, I want to talk. Were you throwing stuff over the side? Nice. It's sugar, you know that, right? Justin, what are you doing? Mommy's gonna be very upset. Yeah, you. Look what you guys did. Sally, what did you do? What did you guys do? I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Why did you let her do that to you? Because I didn't see her. What are you doing? Huh? Tatum, what happened to you? What were you doing? You don't know? What are you doing? What are you doing to Addison? Uh-uh. 
did you do with your stickers, Brayden? Only a boy would drink out of the toilet. Matthew 24. This is why we want to live the expectant life. All those kids had to deal with lying as soon as they got caught living the unexpected life. Amen? You'll struggle a lot more when you're living unexpected. You're like, oh, I'm about to tell the truth or lie here. Matthew 24, 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? Who wants to be faithful and wise? I will take that, please, a double portion. Whom his master made ruler over his household. If you have influence or leadership in any area, this is you, this is us. To give them food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, do we know when he's coming? No. When he comes, what? Will find him so doing. The blessed life is the expectant life. The faithful and wise servant will find so doing. I want that. I do not want what happened to me when I was in my 20s, and there was only two pastors, and it was Thursday, my last day of work, and I knew Pastor Terry wasn't there, and I was just kind of had my work done. I was kind of goofing off. I was in my 20s. I just started. Come on. So I'm flipping through. I'm done with that. I think I've done everything. The youth. Da, 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 da. Oh, is that a movie? I want to see that movie. You know what? I'll watch the trailer. It wasn't a bad movie. It's a movie. I'll watch the trailer. No one's here. No big deal. Click. Ooh, blow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Until the office, uh, the secretary of the little school next door, who just decided to be a super Christian and get the church's mail, walks in, scares me six ways, opens the door, and I'm watching. I'm just watching a trailer, but I'm watching a trailer doing work. And I thought, probably thought I should have been praying. And I was like, oh, oh hey, 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 no, I'm just, thank you, Lord, for this day. And, and she, the poor lady, she's like, this God, she just hands me the mail and just, Okay. Don't you hate that feeling? If we live the expectant life, which is our normal, you won't have that horrible feeling, which we've all had. We've all been there. Let's keep looking here. So expectation and expectant life is our normal. Verse 19 of uh, 1 John. Little children, it is the last hour, he says, and, excuse me, verse 19. Then they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. So he's talking about people who had professed Christ at some point, but then they're not there anymore. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. This is like, oh, it's a little confusing. What's going on here in this scripture, right? Let me help you out. This is an important principle. Scripture interprets Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. I'm a little struggling. Um, what exactly does this mean? Acts 15, 1 and 2 is the perfect example. Let me read that to you. Acts 15, 1 and 2. And certain men came down from Judea. The church is early. The church is new. And taught the brethren. They didn't suggest it. They hardlined it. They taught, and this is what they taught. Unless you're circumcised, unless you go back to works, unless you go back to the law, unless you go back to the way it was, to the custom of Moses, you cannot be what? Oh, 
I mean, they hardlined it. These are the works that you have to do to be what? Not righteous, not righteous under the law. They said saved. Therefore, anyone who didn't do what they said is what? Not saved. So they paint them as the devil. So it's saying right here, let me just keep, keep reading here. Moses cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dispute, the spiritual fathers come in. I'm going to tell you, God will give you grace if you'll stay under spiritual covering. And I'm speaking this as a testimony more than anything. When the wolves come, the shepherd will step in and, and he'll protect you. God will bring people to step in and say, no, no, you're not coming on these kids like this. Paul and Barnabas stepped up and said, uh-uh. Paul and Barnabas had no small dispute with them. They determined, that Paul, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders, the overseers, the spiritual fathers, about this question. And it actually all worked out for the glory of God. This is where the Council of Jerusalem started. This is where it said, look, we're going to focus on the work of Christ and grace. Churches are going to look a little different. They don't have to be Jewish. This is a big split in time in history. They can, they can be Gentiles. They can be Jews. They're going to be a little different. That's okay. So the point of this saying they were, they were with us, but they went out. This is the key. This is what I just want you to remember. Anyone who's trying to have spirituality, and I don't care what it is across the boards, outside of the grace of God has left it. If you're trying to be spiritual anyway, outside of the glorious, marvelous grace of God, which Paul is very clear about, it is actually the gospel of grace, it's our message, then you've, you've left it. And, and John is saying, spiritual children, you don't worry about the people who try to pull you away from his grace. You stay right there in the middle. Right there in the middle of his grace. Number two on your notes. Faithfulness is the spirit of Christ. Faithfulness to his grace. Faithfulness to speaking of his grace. To living in his grace. Not any works. He continues John in... 1 John chapter 3, just a page over or swipe over from where you are, 10 through 12. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. See, he's comparing and contrasting so much of the, the Antichrist, the lost, with the people of God. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. This faithfulness to his grace. <laughs> you cannot love anyone for 15 minutes unless you live in the grace of God. Come on. I know it's Sunday morning, but come on. Anyone who's been more, married more than 10 minutes knows, if I don't live and exercise grace, I'm not going to be married. Come on. Love one another. You should love one another. Not as Cain, who was the wicked one and murdered his brother. He called him brother. He was nice to his face, but anger was building up in his heart. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Let's be faithful to the grace of God. Let's be faithful to grace to others. That's what a father wants us to know. All right, now we're talking about the grace of God. 
How many, how many of you are law and grace? I mean, uh, justice and truth people. This is right. This is wrong. That's it. How, <laughs> so we live and we hold on to the grace of God. You have nothing without that. And then we grab the holiness and the righteousness of God. And we better grab a hold of that. You have to have both in your life. So here's the other side of the coin. Verse 22 of John, 1 John 2 says this. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father or the authority of the Father and the Son. Who denies the authority of the Father and the Son. Who denies the authority of the Father and the Son. Let me read a scripture to make this make clear sense to you. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-5. I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians, yeah, 4, 3 through 8. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that which you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage or advantage of or defraud his brother in this manner, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. That's, a, that's the way fathers talk. For God did not call us to uncleanliness, but to holiness. Now watch. What is the most, one of the most hot-button topics in our culture today? Sexuality and identity. Is that right? Sexuality and identity. It's, 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 all, it's, it's a big deal all the time. God's very clear on all that. Please study and read. If you have specific questions, ask me. Look at the next verse. Verse 8. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject me. Or first Baptist down the road, or this or that. The rejection of all of that is rejection of who? Of but God, who has also given us the Holy Spirit. Now, number three on your notes. Our reaction to his authority reveals our relationship to him. Our reaction to his authority reveals our heart, our mind, our relationship to him. That's what it does. We thank him for his marvelous grace we live in. And there's holy standards. Amen? Where's righteousness and holiness we want to strive for? And if we mess up, we repent. We, we, deal, we hold on to both of these. Our reaction to his authority reveals our relationship to him. So, so many decisions you guys have to make every day in your life. And as worship was going on in that great new song, great new song, sing a hallelujah. I was thinking about this in our world. We'll end with this story. The Bible stories are the best. I have constantly been dealing with my own heart and emotions, how I'm dealing with everything in our world. Yes, you guys too. I don't want to get frustrated. I got to pray. I got to have the right attitude. This about it in every political system, every leadership system, every news media, correct? And we were doing the song, Raise a Hallelujah, I was thinking about that, that statement, man, I'm going to raise a hallelujah. Lord, I want to do this. I want to do this. I, this I want to do this. 
I don't want to be the complainer. I don't want to be the hard person. I, I don't want to be, I, Lord, what do you want me to do? It's so complicated this way. What is my attitude? How do I deal with this? And the story of Stephen in the Bible came to my mind. The church has grown and is living a healthy, wonderful, godly, God-centered life in the middle of a horrific mess called the Roman Empire fighting with Judaism that's falling off, the, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Roman government, with Felix the governor, with all of these things going on. And Stephen is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, and there is hatred beyond hatred, not from some foreign entity, not from the Roman government, from whom? His own people, the Jews, his neighbors. They are visceral at him, and he is proclaiming the gospel of Christ. They're cut to the core. They, they can't stand it anymore, so it's always either forgiveness or hatred and anger. It's always either fall to your knees or I'll hate everyone and attack everyone. That's, all, all we're, that's what we're doing in life. So Stephen steps up, and he's and the, 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 in, they're coming in with stones, and they're going to kill him. So instead of, a, a, he totally goes Jesus. He just lifts his eyes up, and he beheld, the Bible says, right, the glory of God. And that's when we see Jesus standing at the right hand of God instead of sitting. Jesus has stood up on his throne. That's profound. We find, don't find that anywhere else in the Bible. Now, the backstory and the side story is there's someone there watching him. There's a young man there who is okay with them killing Stephen like this, and is in fact, he's young, so he doesn't really have the authority, doesn't know what to do, so he's just holding everyone's coats. He's just holding everyone's coats so they can really get a strong, that's a horrible thought. But. So he's all holding the coats, consenting, the Bible says, to their murder. Now, this is why it's significant. I was thinking about this in our culture. Stephen dies. The crowd disperses. But 40 years later, the young man holding the coats is standing before the political powers of his world, the Roman government, telling about how Jesus has changed his life. And the story he uses... To tell everyone how Jesus has changed his life. Taylor, you can come up. He goes back to that story where Stephen is stoned. Of all the stories, he goes back to that one. Why in the world, Paul, who writes a third of the New Testament books, does he in uh, Exodus 20, excuse me, Acts 22, go back to that story when he's got the biggest audience with the governor there, his biggest sermon ever. Why does he go back to that story? And I was thinking about that during worship. And that song helped me to understand it. And this is our lives. This is your life now, and this is going to affect your children and grandchildren and possibly generations you don't even aware of. Now listen to me, and it, it's heavy on me too. Throne, stones, anger, all of these things will always exist in the, on the planet. They always have. We just maybe see it a little more now. 
because we can see everything now with our phones. Your choice and mine. As Paul is standing there holding the coats, says, I'm going to be that or I'm going to be Stephen. And he said, I'm going to do that for a while. But the graciousness of God caught up with Paul. It caught up to him. Stand up. I want you to see Stephen there. And in Acts 22, 40 something years later, Paul is going to look at the governor in his biggest congregation ever, the most lost people ever. And he's going to say, I'm going to tell you a story that there was a man named Stephen. And when they were full of anger and hatred, all he did was look up and say, I can't remember the names of the people who throw the stones. I can't remember everything that was going on. Let me tell you what affected me my entire life. The man who said, in all the mess and chaos and junk, highest praise to him. That's what hallelujah means. Highest praise above everything else to him. You want to step into that? Come on, let's do that right now. Let's do that right now. Can we sing hallelujah? Go ahead. Sing. Sing a little louder. Come on, we've got a hallelujah in our generation. Sing a little louder.
more time. Start raising a hallelujah. Sing it one more time. Raise a hallelujah. Come on, ask the Lord. Come on, the light of the light of the gospel is in you. The light of life is in you. Father, give us a hallelujah in all this mess, in the stone throwing, in the, in the attacks. Give us a hallelujah, Lord, above the enemies of this world. Give us a hallelujah, Lord, in deep in our heart and soul. So deep is the love of God, nothing can remove it. Oh, give it to us, Lord, for the person next to us, Lord, for our children, all for our neighbors, God, for someone who believes different or acts differently, for someone who's angry, for someone who's scared. Oh, God, give us a hallelujah. Lord, your hallelujah is not lacking. Oh, Father, give it to us. Give it to us like you gave it to Stephen, Lord. Give it to us, Lord. He's got one.